Hey everyone, welcome back to another episode of the Meet Kevin Show. Today we've got a very special one because we are going to go deep and we're going to ask some hard questions on cryptocurrencies, NFTs with two legendary folks. Number one, Kevin O'Leary from Shark Tank and of course, investor and venture capitalist. And then of course, we have Jordan Freed, the CEO of Immutable Holdings. Thank you both so very much for being here. Welcome aboard. I want to get started right away. So uh, I want to start with cryptocurrencies. Obviously, Bitcoin has been running. We've crossed that 60,000 psychological threshold. NFTs are all the rage right now. Crypto punks. We've got many other NFTs as well. Uh, Jordan, I want to start with you. Where do you fit in? Like, how do you explain what the heck it is that you do to an average person when you're at a party, like a kid's birthday party or whatever? How do you possibly explain to people what cryptocurrencies are and what it is that you do when 68% of hedge fund managers don't feel comfortable enough to invest in crypto because they're clueless about it? Yeah. So first, thanks for having me, Kevin. It's a great question. The way I like to think about it is crypto is like a cap table. There's never going to be more than 21 million Bitcoin. I was part of the founding team of coin called HBAR, which is part of the Hedera Hashgraph network. There's lots of tokens in the market, but really what makes crypto unique is that it's scarce. Uh, so uh, uh, the first piece when people are coming into crypto, obviously they want to ac accumulate as much as they can of the underlying protocols that they still think are going to be here in 5, 10, 15 years. But beyond accumulation, beyond just owning crypto in your portfolio, I'm a firm believer. We have an asset management business. We advocate that people have some percentage of their portfolios with exposure to cryptocurrency. We believe there's so much more. So at Amiibo Holdings, our whole philosophy is don't just own cryptocurrency, own the blockchain. And what we mean by that is take exposure to really exciting businesses building in the blockchain space. So there's publicly traded Bitcoin mine companies like uh, HUT8 and Riot and Hive that you can take exposure to. Coinbase is publicly traded. Uh, Voyager Digital, uh, Galaxy Digital. These are publicly traded blockchain equity plays that investors can take exposure to. So we're big believers in beyond just holding cryptocurrency, which is interesting and exciting. And I hold some and I know uh, Mr. Wonderful here holds some. Uh, it's really important to diversify through blockchain equity. And that's... Uh, I'll keep it at that for the cocktail party. Uh, I gotcha. Next. Okay, so uh, Kevin O'Leary, I want to know, last time we spoke, we were worried about blood coins in China, essentially, with dirty mining and potentially separating clean mining from, from dirty mining and how those clean coins could be more valuable. Now we've ch seen China essentially exit stage right, and now they've banned transactions and mining in China. Uh, how does this affect your view of investing? Are we now worried still about finding clean coins versus not? Or can we just say, hey, let's invest money with Jordan into something like Immutable Holdings and get exposure across the board, maybe even own cryptocurrency directly? Where do you stand on that now? Well, let me address the ESG issue because you brought up three different elements there. So ESG issue has not gone away. It's one of the reasons that major institutions are waiting for a resolution to it. And there is one emerging, and it's simply this. There are many pools of capital being accumulated to develop mining operations in places like Western Texas uh, or in the Nordic countries where they can use a combination of solar and wind to mine coin and provide electricity for the grids in those regions. And the idea there is along the HUD-8 line that Jordan mentioned. HUD-8, one of the reasons I own that stock is that uh, the CEO there, a woman named Jamie Leverton, has committed to her shareholders that she will keep those coins that she mines sustainably on her balance sheet. 
So an indirect way for me to own the coin, knowing with certainty it passes my compliance committee that is looking at ESG issues, sustainability issues, ethics issues, and no different than many large institutions or sovereign funds. And indeed, her stock trades with the volatility of Bitcoin. So it, it's an indirect way of solving that problem. And there's at least four or five other projects, uh, one of which uh, I'm getting involved in, that's going to mine sustainably in Western Texas. So that, I think that resolves itself for the next 30, 40, 50 years. And so we'll, we'll see more and more institutional uh, involvement. China was forecasted. I mean, they're, they're trying to keep centralized control there. So Bitcoin, Bitcoin doesn't fit into their world, or, nor does this crypto. And, and they're trying to launch their own digital Chinese currency, of which the chance anyone else is going to own that is zero. So it, it's, it's, uh, they're in a bit of a, a squeeze box there because in order to mine the efficiencies and productivity that you know decentralized finance promises uh, and cryptocurrencies promise to reduce friction and cost and be a global solution for a lot of financial services you got to be part of it so if china wants to just do their own thing that's fine um but they won't get any participation from anybody i mean the reason i would never own that coin is I don't know who's watching and I'm, I'm pretty sure it's going to be the Chinese government. So why would I let that happen uh, to any of my assets? So I think they're going to get a lot of pushback and I'm just one voice and I'm sure they'll come around at some point. Now, regarding owning immutable, um, my attitude about owning crypto and the whole sector is I have a discipline of, of diversification. I'm forced by mandate here to never have more than 5% in any one stock. This is on the equity portfolio or never more than 20% in any one sector. And there's 11 sectors in the S&P 500. I consider crypto to be the 12th sector. It hasn't been deemed that yet by the S&P, but it's coming. And so my view is, how do I get diversification? Well, Jordan's company, Hold is the symbol, I'm a shareholder, is diversification. It's a series of assets on the chain. So why wouldn't I want that? To me, it's just, in, I'm investing in software, productivity software. I invest in Google, I invest in, in Microsoft, why wouldn't I invest in immutable holdings? Same thing. They're all the same to me, and that's how I'm going to treat it. Now, would you end up, uh, Jordan, I want to ask you, when, when you're investing in uh, various different blockchain technologies or miners, how are you balancing how much you're putting into miners versus, uh, let's say, altcoins or a blockchain tech? One of the things that I also noticed is sort of a follow-up, and I want to actually hear an answer from both of you on this, is I noticed that with crypto miners, uh, they a lot of their value is in that they're holding a lot of their own cryptocurrency. They're holding their own Bitcoin. For example, I interviewed the CEO of HUD8, and she talked about how grateful they are that they are hodlers of Bitcoin. But you're paying six to seven times the market cap of the actual uh, Bitcoin they're holding. So you're putting a lot of trust in that technology infrastructure they have on actually mining Bitcoin. So I want to see, how do you both value this? How do you value the Bitcoin miners? And how do you value these different blockchains you're investing in? Like you said, Jordan, you got to find the ones that are going to be here in five uh, to 10 years. So I want to start with you, Jordan, and then we'll go to Kevin. Yeah. So beyond just accumulating crypto, what we bring, and, and a lot of people have made a tremendous amount of wealth just accumulating cryptocurrency and are sipping my ties on probably beaches not too far from the one I'm, I'm, I'm close to right behind me. But yeah. beyond doing that, there's a, a really, there's a really great investment approach. And we put this together. This is our operating thinking at Immutable Holdings, which is 
what are some of the businesses that we could build that extend awareness, access, and adoption of blockchain technology and digital assets that are native to them? So you're absolutely right, Kevin. People can take exposure to public equities that have indirect exposure. You can buy micro strategy stock. Michael Saylor has a huge amount of Bitcoin on his balance sheet. There's a, there's a website called BitcoinTreasuries.org, which actually publish, uh, publishes a list of publicly uh, traded um, uh, stocks that have Bitcoin or crypto assets on their balance sheet. Uh, and, and yes, you're going to pay some multiple, but for someone that doesn't know or isn't competent in managing a public private key pair, that's a really great alternative to actually owning crypto. At Immutable Holdings, we're doing something very different. Today, we actually don't have cryptocurrency in our balance sheet. What we're building are profitable businesses, our breakout blockchain brands like NFT.com and 1-800-Bitcoin. We're building businesses that... Uh, bring either awareness, access, or adoption to the space. So to give you an example, 1-800-BITCOIN, it's a toll-free number. We're going to provide mass market education to people who call that number and provide them with Bitcoin masterclasses and research products. On the NFT side, we ourselves are adopting underlying blockchain technologies. And on the asset management side, we're helping family offices and high net worth individuals that don't want to hold crypto native. We help them take exposure to funds that give them that exposure in an indirect way, and we make money through management fees. So we are a way, a diversified way to take exposure to the entire sector. Again, I would advocate that, yes, crypto is an interesting part to have part of your portfolio, either holding it directly or indirectly through the Bitcoin miners or some others. You will certainly pay a premium if you if you go that route, as you're pointing out. But really diversifying and owning businesses, Coinbase is going to make money whether the price of Bitcoin is going up or going down. They make money on volatility. They make money on fees. That's what we mean by own blockchain equity, own businesses that are going to do well in a bull or bear market cycle. Okay, and Kevin O'Leary, what do you think? Uh, why, why perhaps uh, a fund that's going to expo expose you to miners, uh, where you are paying a little bit more of that multiple, uh, as opposed to just maybe holding the coins directly? Well, the expectation um, when you own the equity of the company is that it will become more and more efficient at mining coin, and it'll get a, do a better job at, at, at doing it, and perhaps do it in where's a lot of value in a sustainable way. I cannot own coin. Where I don't know the provenance because I also have to serve institutions that are not allowed to own coin that isn't sustainably mined. They have sustainability committees. We haven't resolved that yet. So rather than, than get myself in a conflicted situation, I put the value in owning the HUD-8 stock. And I, I've been buying her, her stock for a while now. So, you know, in times of bear markets, it traded as low as $6. And now I think it's $14.15. And that just reflects the price of Bitcoin's appreciation over the last 90 days. And if the coin goes down, so will her stock. So, but, but no one questions my owning that equity. They, they understand that she has been mining sustainably since she was awarded her first coin. So there's value there. She's also just recently raised another $150 million. I don't know what she's going to do with it, but I'm going to assume she's going to use it accretively because she's a good manager. And I'll benefit from that as a shareholder. My whole point is I don't need to own Bitcoin natively only. I can own it in other ways. And I do own some native coin that I know that's provenance. And so for me, it's, I, don't, I don't need the resistance and the headache and the, the, the compliance officer barking at me. I don't want mm -hmm. that stuff. And I don't, I don't need it because I have other businesses that, have to, that I have to be compliant in all the time. So I'm no different than many other institutional clients that are concerned about this issue. So there's value in, in many different ways. Same with what's going on with Immutable. I mean, there's, there's, I have no, everything there is compliant. So you wouldn't believe how powerful this compliance committee is becoming in so many giant institutions.
That's incredible. I want to know from both of you, uh, NFTs. I know Immutable uh, does a lot of work with NFTs, even NFT gamings, uh, or yeah, in the NFT gaming space. How do we see NFTs uh, evolving over the next five to 10 years? Is this something that is like the 2000 uh, tech bubble, or is this something that has lasting staying power? And what makes NFTs different? How should somebody getting into NFTs value one NFT over another? Start with you, Jordan. Yep. So Kevin, for your internet native, you're spending a lot of your time on the internet. I've been watching your videos for years now. For the generation that's internet native and spending an increasing amount of time online, the concept of buying an intangible digital item is not is not to uh, is not a foreign concept for them. You've got kids that have been buying in-game swords or currencies in games like World of Warcraft or RuneScape. When I was growing up, we actually used to sell RuneScape goal points until the makers of the game said, "Hey, stop doing that. That's our intellectual property." Second. <laughs> markets have been forming around MMORPGs, massive multiplayer online role-playing games. And Second Life was one of the first to actually, and Kevin mentioned compliance, get money transmission licenses state to state. Actually, Second Life still to this day has money transmission licenses in all 50 states and three territories. They have a currency called Linden Dollars, and they've been the market maker, essentially, selling Linden Dollars and land inside of that business. So those are NFTs to some extent. We've got games like Upland, uh, which is an NFT game where you can buy some land inside. Uh, inside of it. What we're seeing happen in NFTs right now, it's manifested in the form of art, these JPEGs, these GIFs, these memes that are going viral, uh, bored apes, or crypto punks, or women of wonder. These collections are incredible, and people are starting to figure out how to create utility for a photograph, for basically a JPEG, a piece of art. We're starting there. There's no doubt that I, I, won't, I won't say where we are in the bubble, if we are in a bubble at all. Uh, I think a lot of people on crypto Twitter will chew me out if I comment on that. But what I will say is that independent of, 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 of where we are in the market cycle, the opportunity for NFTs is so much more than just art and intellectual property. What we're, literally everything we have of value in the physical world, whether it's the title deed to a piece of property, like the office I'm in right now, or whether it's the authenticity certificate to an FP Jorn or a Patek Philippe that Mr. Wonderful wears on his wrist on a Shark Tank episode, quite literally everything we own of value in the physical world is going to be represented in this digital world in the form of a token. And that, given the amount of time and increasing amount of time that we're spending, our lives are digital online. We've got things like blue check marks that signal that this is an influencer. This is someone of credibility. This is someone who's on Shark Tank. Uh, given how much value we put in these intangible items, an increasing amount of capital and value is going to be stored in this NFT economy. We're really proud to own NFT.com. We absolutely are building ways to onboard new people to the NFT ecosystem to help both creators and collectors capitalize in this new world. And, uh, and we think marketplaces are a great start. So today we've got millions of users in the NFT ecosystem. Coinbase has got 68 million users that they just announced that they have. We are very much at the beginning of NFTs, very excited about what the future looks like. Kevin O'Leary, Jordan just mentioned the crypto community and uh, you know mentioning that if, if we uh, touch on the potential downsides that there could be backlash in the crypto community. Kevin O'Leary, do you, do you ever feel like uh, you can't say anything wrong about crypto without being attacked? Yeah, it's a very vocal community and that's okay. It's, it's, you know, a lot of the people that were the early founders feel they have a proprietary relationship with the community or with the assets themselves. And that's okay too. But if you really want to see Bitcoin at a million dollars a coin, this has to be ubiquitous across all different buyers 
whether they're involved in crypto today or not. And the potential to get there and even see Bitcoin at 100,000 by year end is going to be an expanded market. So, you know, my view is there are many, many, many people that have not yet participated in crypto that over time will become more comfortable with it. Certainly Gen Z is very active there, millennials and even some baby boomers now see it as a store of wealth and they're allocating some portion of their net worth to it. But at the end of the day, you know, I, I look at it and say to myself, what drives value in a market is disruption and enhanced productivity. And so if you believe that you can get that out of cryptocurrencies or decentralized finance, it will create value. And, and you heard a use case that Jordan just referenced around watches. Let me give you some more metrics to that because I'm very involved in the protocol to develop a standard for watch NFTs. Every year, there are $20 billion of transactions in new and used watches. They trade from one hand to another. They move from one state to another. When you have a very valuable piece, such as a Patek Philippe or a vintage Rolex or an FP Journe, which is probably the hottest watch in the world right now, before you purchase it in the secondary market, you have to get it authenticated because you don't know with certainty that it's real. Maybe it's being held at a dealer in Hong Kong. You have to get it in bond all the way to New York have it looked at by a representative, either the maker or, or an auction house that has these expertise to authenticate it, send it back to Hong Kong and then do the transaction. That is incredibly inefficient. And I've gone through that for decades as I've built my collection. And I'm fortunate to know the world's largest watch collectors. They have the same struggle, the same challenge. Collectively, you know, in conjunction with some of the authorities that oversee horology, uh, we're working together to try and set standards that then we can on right at nft.com start to provide individual nfts for each collector's collection i want every one of my pieces to have an nft associated with it that authenticates it into my estate even my insurance company wants that instead of having to go through the arduous process of having it photographed and all of the paper accredited i can have all that in encased in, in inside of an NFT and simply send it to the insurer and I'll get a discount rate if I can do that. That's what they've told me already. So there's so many use cases for NFTs where the physical asset is tied to the digital for the sake of authenticity and efficiency. That's where we're going. That's incredible. I mean, it sounds like uh, Kevin O'Leary, you're potentially talking about uh, soon, uh, maybe individual investors even being able to invest in a share of your watch on something like NFT.com. Am I going too far on that or am I going? No, no right that's already happened to me. My watch that I wore, the white steel white face Daytona with the red band, went to auction last year at an extraordinary price. And I only wish that I had the NFT to that watch because I'll never have it again. Now, I'm fortunate yeah. I was able to buy another one, but that watch was on Shark Tank for 12 years. That was the red band watch. And it has tremendous value with fans. And many others have asked me, do you have a picture of it I can have? So that's what the NFT will be. My plan is to go back to the buyer. It was a charity auction for the One Drop Association and ask him if he would allow us to make an NFT of that because the demand's insatiable for that piece. 
Now, Jordan, Kevin O'Leary just referred to Bitcoin potentially going to a million dollars as we sort of expand uh, how many people get involved in cryptocurrencies. And I think, golly, I mean, if, if you can invest in Kevin O'Leary's watch via the blockchain, that's certainly going to expand uh, people's interest in cryptocurrencies. Jordan, how how are you folks getting involved? Because I know NFT.com right now, you've got coming soon, your email address, you've got NFT gaming, you invest in various different public companies. I, I'm trying to wrap my head around what it is y'all do with crypto to me it sounds like you do everything can you touch a little bit on uh on on the future of nft.com and uh, is it true are you sort of like a basket of everything like forget about a bitcoin futures etf you could have a basket a little sliver of everything of cryptocurrency with you so the best way to think about immutable holdings is that we are very much the first to build the Berkshire, what we like to think of as the Berkshire Hathaway of blockchain. Mm. Now, Berkshire Hathaway is a holding company with very diverse holdings that aren't related to any one particular industry or sector, right? They own Geico, they've got large holdings in American Express and Coca-Cola, they own some Apple stock, or at least did at one point, and Dairy Queen, right? Nebraska Furniture Market added to the list. What we've decided is, what if we did what the Interactive Corporation, remember Barry Diller back in the 90s, building one of the first internet rate holding companies with Match.com, Ask.com, Angie's List. This was one of the first internet holding companies around the time of the dot-com bubble. And, and there's a lot of strategic synergies between operating dot-com uh, companies, right? You can share accounting resources. Maybe you can share a CFO if they're early stage. Uh, you can share engineering teams, uh, different ways to build merchant processing and checkout funnels. There are a lot of strategic synergies between building blockchain businesses like 1-800-BITCOIN-NFT.COM and Immutable Asset Management. We wanted and, and today are giving investors exposure to a holding company that's got six subsidiaries ranging from uh, just quickly the list is CBDC.COM, which stands for Central Bank Digital Currency, HBAR.COM, which is the symbol of the Hedera Hashgraph Network, a network I was part of the founding team of. It's number 35 or 36 or 37 on coin market cap, uh, depending on the day. Uh, we've got an advisory business where we've been brought in. I've consulted with the Monetary Authority of Singapore on, on Project Ubin, launching their central bank digital currency. I've met with you know, C-suite at Google, IBM, Boeing, Deutsche Telekom, and them putting together strategies and how they're working on the space. That's ways our team monetize. But our core thinking really, Kevin, is around awareness, access, and adoption. If you want to own crypto, that's amazing. And you can absolutely stop there, like I said, and sit Mai Tais on the beach. But what are the businesses that you could build that make blockchain and digital assets more valuable? The Winklevoss twins did that really well. After the Facebook settlement, they took $11 million. They dollar costed into crypto, not even dollar costed. They really just bought Bitcoin below $100. Today, those holdings are worth billions of dollars, but they didn't stop there. They could have stopped there. They're now multi-billionaires, but they built Gemini, a compliant and regulated cryptocurrency exchange that is a fiat to crypto on-ramp that has millions of users, and that made their own holdings more valuable. So when I say accumulation, accumulation is great. That's the first A, but the last three A is awareness, access, adoption. For us, that's 1-800-BITCOIN, building awareness, helping make Bitcoin and blockchain a less intimidating subject, building on-ramps access helping people access in a compliant way these regulated crypto markets and adoption we ourselves are young native platform builders building platforms native to many blockchains like the hedera network like solana like ethereum and nft.com aspires to get lots of users and have them use blockchains in some cases not even know that they're using it so you know you spoke about a million dollar bitcoin that is absolutely within the realm of what's possible here just given one i think where we are 
and the adoption curve. If you look at the adoption curve of Bitcoin versus the adoption curve of the internet, we've got to be in 1994, 1995, just in terms of sheer number of people that are on these networks. Uh, the actual adoption curves, if you look at the charts, are, are, are quite similar. So we think it's very early. Gold is what, a 10 and $11 trillion market cap. And to take Paul Tudor Jones's words, uh, he describes this in a white paper as even better than gold. So if it's better than gold, I think we're talking about a market cap even bigger than that. So half a million to a million is absolutely within the realm of what I think is possible in this ecosystem. Now, uh, Kevin O'Leary, I want to ask you because Jordan just talked about Gemini. Gemini has a Gemini coin, a, a stable coin, and that's uh, backed by uh, a dollar in a bank account somewhere that's FDIC insured. But a lot of folks who hold the Gemini coin do so so they can earn yields, five, six, seven, eight percent on their stable coin. And they see this as almost a high yield savings account. Uh, but a lot of them aren't familiar that when they opt into that sort of uh, yield, what they're really doing is they're lending out their coin. And so concerns have come up that how many times are these Gemini coins or stable coins being lent out? Uh, and if they're being rehypothecated over and over and over again, is there a potential that the crypto market is 10, 20x as leveraged as a traditional finance? Or is that not so much of a concern? Kevin O'Leary, what's your take on that? No, I mean, you're raising an issue around stable coins. There are other stable coins, obviously, USDC included, Tether. Yeah. Um, the, the regulator has uh, spoken on, to, on this issue just only three weeks ago regarding the concept that stable coins are uh, you know, being treated like money market funds. When you, for example, sell your stock in a traditional brokerage account, very often you're swept into a money market fund while it waits in cash. And maybe you're yielding today 23, 24 basis points. But uh, that is backed by uh, dollars and very short duration uh, government credits in most cases. And, and the same issue is being debated around stable coins. And so what I anticipate happening, because you're right, the, the reason that let's just take USDC, one that I'm more familiar with, because I actually use it yeah. corporately, at, you know, managed by Circle. Um, they've been growing 10x every year. They started with 100 million and today there's over 30 billion dollars worth of USDC. And yet it hasn't been adopted institutionally yet. There are some high net worth family offices, hedge funds that do stake it or lend it, as you suggested. And the current yields on that are around 5.8 to 6.4%. And I know that because I just signed three more stakes this morning and I'm using the Circle platform to do that. Now, it's, it's not a huge amount of dollars because we're still in the, uh, I was the, one of the first business accounts that they opened as a pioneer to help get that going. And it took me six months to get my own internal compliance department on board and another two months to get my external auditors to sign my statements so that then I could fulfill my obligation to regulators in various geographies where we're using this strategy. And so we are nowhere yet on stable coins in terms of it becoming an institutional product. The most likely scenario in my view, and it's a personal opinion, is that Circle, who has the 30 billion, will end up being licensed as a bank and have to comply the same way banks do to their money market accounts. And that would solve a lot of problems. Um, it would allow me to go to a full weighting of USDC. Right now, to get it through my compliance, I have to treat it like a stock. It's not a stock. It's a, it's a yeah. proxy in the US dollar, and yet I can't get my own compliance people to agree. So we're very nascent in this process, very, very early. But the fact that I'm going through all of these headaches is because you're right. I can make 6% and I can't do that anywhere else. And I, and I have to make something over 2.1 because that's inflation. 
So there's a lot of interest here. Uh, Kevin uh, O'Leary, just a quick follow-up. Uh, regulation, Gary Gensler a few weeks ago compared regulation in the cryptocurrency market to regulation in cars. When we finally had cars get regulated, we had stop signs, we had uh, crosswalks and traffic lights, uh, car adoption skyrocketed. Do you think the same thing is true or will be true for cryptocurrency? I think you, you basically just said that essentially once you get more regulation, you'll be able to do a lot more with it. Are you expecting that that regulation would actually broaden how many people will invest in in crypto assets and then increase those prices subsequently yes i do and that's the whole premise by which i'm investing in immutable holdings i think everything to do with the internet whether it be a miner whether it be circle whether it be immutable whether it be a wonderfy another recent investment of mine in decentralized finance these are infrastructure plays for the long term now either you believe in cryptocurrencies and you believe in decentralized finance you believe in what an nft is or you don't but if you do, then you have to make an allocation decision. And really, what I'm hoping to have happen is the regulator regulates because they are, I don't think that the genie's out of the bottle now. We're not, when you've got 30 plus billion dollars worth of stable coin out there in just one USDC name, that's a huge indication that there's institutional interest that yet hasn't been, that met demand. And so the bottom line here is, this is software development. The whole thing is software development. What makes the country competitive is technology, which is primarily a combination of firmware and software development. The regulator knows this. We want to lead the charge in decentralized finance as a country. We want to lead the charge in, in deciding which of these currencies and payment systems go international. We want to be the developers and we want to maintain the pace and the innovation and the disruption. We certainly don't want the Chinese doing that. So it's a competitive race. They've taken a shot with their own currency, which I mentioned I would never own. But at the same time, the rest of the world still uses the U.S. dollar as a settlement vehicle. If we can make a digital version of that in USDC or something similar to it, that will become the standard globally. The regulator knows that and they will continue to march towards regulating it, in my opinion. Jordan, Kevin O'Leary just talked uh, about how blockchain technology is really software development. Uh, is it possible that this software development blockchain becomes, we, we find one standard that just functions so well that it ends up becoming a monopoly and essentially replaces 99% of other blockchains? Or do you see the market as much more fragmented where certain blockchains will be beneficial for certain things and people might use uh, the Ethereum network for one thing or the Cardano network for another thing and who knows, maybe Bitcoin's future network for something else? Yeah, so we're already seeing the fragmentation happen. Solidity started as the way to do smart contracts, but if we're being honest, there's much better, more efficient ways to do smart contracts. Solana's come up with better ways to do it. You can have a Java application run a smart contract, which is basically an atomic swap in a much better way than even using Solidity, which is very uh, expensive and burdensome to use as witnessed by the fees uh, that we're seeing on the, uh, on the Ethereum network. What, what I think you'll end up having is networks optimized for certain things. So you'll have a network optimized just for NFTs. I think you're going to have networks op optimized just for stable coins. I think you'll have networks optimized just for really great governance and really great compliance. One of the reasons we built Hedera was to introduce really great governance and compliance, basically give regulators the, a tool set to be able to bind policy with a particular platform and a jurisdiction. The nodes in the Hedera network are run by Google, IBM, Boeing, Deutsche Telekom, Nomura, unlike the anonymous nodes in some of these other networks, which make regulators just more comfortable. The nodes are in Nomura's data center. Nomura is a regulated banking institution running a node on a public blockchain network. 
and can enforce certain policies on those nodes. So I uh, really where I think this is going is you're going to have networks optimized and specialized in those areas. Now you may have multiple NFT networks, but smart contracts and NFTs, mostly NFTs are smart contracts. The big common standard way of doing them is ERC 721s in the marketplace. That's the solidity standard that Ethereum introduced. That's very burdensome on the memory of a node on that particular network. And the more you have in RAM or in memory on those networks, you deprecate performance, transactional performance. Mm -hmm. So it's going to be difficult to be really great at micropayments and really great at smart contracts. I think you're going to have networks specializing, but we'll definitely have multiple networks there will never be another Bitcoin, though. Bitcoin is really our store of value network, and uh, there, it really is digital gold. Uh, I think you'll have a general purpose application network like a Hedera and Ethereum and an Avalanche and a Solano. There will be a few, and I think probably one or two win on the NFT side and the stablecoin side. That's fascinating. Yeah, I mean, there's such a public debate and and such uh, loyalty. You could feel it. It's almost like your football team in terms of which blockchain is going to win and do everything. But I like what you're saying that uh, we're, we're probably going to see that fragmentation continue. Uh, now, you hold public companies. Do you hold any Robinhood? They make some money off crypto transactions. Uh, personally, I, uh, I I don't publicly disclose the, the the public equity plays or investments that I make. Immutable Holdings is in a structure where we're, we're not making balance sheet investments. Think of us like a publicly traded venture studio. We like to make bets. So, for example, we acquired NFT.com at the beginning of this year, and we decided, hey, you know, one, it's got to be one of the most highly sought after domain names in the entire world right now. I literally field conversations and inquiries on a daily basis to sell that. Well, we have built, we have an incredible engineering team. These are former Facebook and Google and Stanford engineers that have joined our team. Just, uh, it, it, just a tremendous effort behind building what we think is going to be a really amazing consumer product for collectors and creators. And that's our specialty. We're business builders. I build consumer software brands. That's where we're focusing. In terms of just making uh, making bets, maybe we'll do a venture fund where we, we make early stage equity-based investments. We haven't ruled it out. Likely that wouldn't be on a balance sheet. That'd probably be in our asset management business at a certain point in time. Uh, but but for, for, for us, it's, you know, we're, we're, we're the diversification play. We're the blockchain holding company, the first, uh, the, the first one to public markets. Got it. Uh, Kevin O'Leary, do you hold any altcoins directly or uh, are you mostly investing in uh, funds, uh, for example, like Immutable Holdings? No, uh, Immutable Holdings I've invested in as an infrastructure play through the, their equity and inherent on, in the value of that equity is what they have on their balance sheet. Uh, I, I also own multiple positions in various coins and tokens and other chains and level one, level twos. Um, what I've decided to do with this situation, I, I recently got involved um, as an investor and then a, a paid spokesperson for FTX is uh, I was looking for a platform to manage all these assets on that I could get my compliance department on board for. I described what I went through just to get USDC on side with Circle's infrastructure. Um, I, I did the same thing with FTX. And so at some point in, in the near future, before the end of the year, I, what I don't want to be accused of or ever be associated with is this idea of promoting this, uh, you know, some, some, uh, some coin that uh, is, uh, is unknown and very thinly traded and all that kind of thing. I don't do that. I'm an investor. I buy these positions for long-term reasons and mm -hmm. don't, I really don't rebalance outside of just keeping the weightings under 5% or whatever. And so uh, I've, I've decided to disclose my holdings um, all at once and say, here's what I own. I own a lot of things now. And, um, and, and then just keep it transparent. 
because I don't like a lot of this cowboy stuff that goes on in the crypto space promoting this or that that you've never heard of. Uh, <laughs> that's, that's not good for the long-term stability of crypto. It's fun, almost game-like in some nature, and, and, and I'm not against it, but, but that's day trading to me versus long-term uh, you know, enhancement of productivity. Again, I look at all of it as software. I'm, I invest, I came out of the software industry. I understand it. I've been involved in it my whole career life. Uh, but now I'm looking at it in terms of enhancing productivity in all kinds of different sectors. And it is my stern belief, and it's a personal opinion, and the reason you would want to do this, um, my target is to get to 7% of, of, the, of, of the operating company's holdings in crypto and in equities of cryptos by year end. But you would do this because you believe at some point that the 12th sector of the S&P will become crypto and decentralized finance. I believe that. I, you know, I'm not saying it's going to happen at any time soon, but there's 11 sectors in the economy, including real estate, which was added recently. And I think crypto will make it there too. So you're investing or betting, if you want to put it that way, that this will become a new sector in our economy and it'll be here forever. Got it. Wow. So no, no Shiba Inu shout out from Kevin O'Leary, <laughs> but that's all right. So um, I, we're running out of time. I want to ask both of you. I want to start with Kevin O'Leary and then Jordan. Uh, I want to ask both of you. About 45 to 60% of folks mention that they invest in cryptocurrency as a hedge for inflation or against inflation. Obviously, uh, inflation has been much more persistent than it has been transitory. Uh, however, there are some concerns that at some point in the future, we might head towards low inflation or potentially deflation. If we go into a deflationary environment, is there a risk to cryptocurrency prices falling substantially? Jordan, what's your take? Oh, I'm not a macroeconomist. Let me be the first to disclose that. What I see happening now, and you have to go back to read the Bitcoin white paper and understand the commentary. There's a great book called The Book of Satoshi, where a group of people collected literally all the comments of the people that use the Satoshi Nakamoto handle and the Bitcoin talk forums um, and, uh, and, and, and really just curated all of it. People were really upset during the 2008 financial crisis, leading into all that bank stimulus and all of those bailouts. Bitcoin is absolutely reactionary to the 2008 financial crisis, where people felt disenfranchised that the bankers that literally took us to the brink of a financial Armageddon were getting all of this bailout money. When people lost jobs, there were people committing suicide. It just absolute tragedies being wiped out financial institutions, people losing their entire life savings for honestly reckless, uh, reckless decisions made by the people managing some of the biggest banks in the world. Crypto came, you have to understand that crypto came from that. It, these people call themselves cyberpunks. They're native. A lot of them operate anonymously on 4chan and on Reddit. And as you mentioned, uh, Kevin, crypto's tribal. That's not, that's not going away because this is the latest space race. This is the modern space race in a war of adoption uh, and people trying to become the de facto platforms out there. Uh, it, it is well known and talked about in the crypto ecosystem that 40% of all dollars in circulation right now were printed in the last 12 months. People are monitoring the U.S. money supply and people are very concerned. Very, very concerned. People are voting with their dollars right now. 
they're deciding to take stimulus money or to take the money that they're making from the major appreciation in their public equity portfolios and to move it in things like this new uh, BITO, the ProShares Bitcoin ETF. People are betting on 100,000 Bitcoin. It's well talked about. I believe that we're going to see it either by the end of this year or in Q1 of next year. Uh, wow. I, 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 I won't speak for what I think will happen in the deflationary period. Again, I don't, I don't see myself okay. as somebody who's qualified to comment on that. I look at the asset class over a 10, 20, 30 year period where I think we're going to continue to see adoption here is with a growing mistrust for institutions and people mm. managing central banks, a growing mistrust among uh, the citizens of many different uh, economies. I agree with Kevin. I don't think that this digital renminbi, this digital Chinese uh, currency is going to gain adoption. Uh, what people want in a central bank digital currency is transparency into the money supply. They want scarcity. That's why people are buying Bitcoin. That's why people buy HR. That's why people buy Solana and Ethereum and all these coins. They're scarce, whereas dollars can be recklessly printed. Shares, by the way, Tesla stock, Elon can capitalize and issue new Tesla stock. And by the way, gold and silver, they can always find more gold and silver. So when you look at cash, more can be printed. When you look at gold and silver, more can be discovered. When you look at, um, when you look at, you know, again, shares, just, you can obviously dilute a cap table. Uh, you cannot do that in digital assets. You cannot do that in cryptocurrency, at least for most of them. And that is the tremendous property that people are demanding. That's where the demand for this is coming from. So um, I, uh, I, I can only see this growing from here. Well, yeah, I mean, it's it's very interesting. I mean, you're right. I mean, we printed 40%, uh, upwards of 40% of all the currency that's in circulation. Now, uh, our velocity of money has plummeted, the amount of times people are circulating money because maybe they're saving or investing more. But it makes you wonder, golly, if people rotated back to the amount of spending we had back in 2019, velocity of money popped back up, we'd see inflation off the charts. It'd be incredible. Uh, Kevin O'Leary, your thoughts, uh, and I know we've talked about it before, but I want to hear your updated thoughts uh, now that uh, we've got the taper coming, this inflation's lasting longer, uh, or do we care if we see inflation continuing, a deflationary environment, any risk to crypto, or are we going to a million over the next uh, 10 to 20 years here? I think the value of, of uh, Bitcoin will continue to increase over time and maybe will beat the indices, the traditional equity and fixed income indices. And that's why you should, if you consider that, have some allocation to it which would not be a bad idea. And I, I don't think you have to put, every, you know, bet the farm and only own Bitcoin. You can own a lot of different coins, tokens, and infrastructure equities, as we talked about. But, you know, having no allocation to it at all in a portfolio in an operating company like mine is to say that you don't believe in any of it. And I'm simply not that person anymore. I, I was very skeptical at the beginning, but as things changed and the regulators changed and became more open to it, so did I. And I, I think regarding the inflation debate, um, there is a huge uh, you know, discussion going on with money managers globally as to whether this is transitory inflation caused by broken supply chains. For example, if you're building a car in America and you used to get all of your parts from Asia and now 30% of them are no longer available or stuck on a ship outside of, outside of the LAX airport or uh, you know, outside of the port in Los Angeles, which is a horrific situation, you're going to source those same nuts and bolts stateside at a 30% increase in cost. And that's part of what we're seeing in the inflation run. But if that's true and we fix the supply chain, which we're hoping we're going to be doing over the next 24 months, that will be, you know, transitory. However, not everybody agrees with that scenario. And that's why the debate is ensuing. And maybe that's one of the reasons you're seeing this new fresh highs or close to it on Bitcoin. 
and some of the other uh, digital assets starting to move as well. It, you, you really don't know because Bitcoin has not yet proven itself to be an alternative asset class or counter cyclical asset class to a correcting market. If the market were to go down 5,000 points tomorrow, you would probably see a correction of Bitcoin as well. So it hasn't made that transition yet. Mm. Whether it will in the future is an unknown. But to have zero allocation to it seems, um, you know, a, a bad idea. I think you need you have to decide what your risk tolerance is for, and your your tolerance for volatility itself, and then make your decision what you're going to own. And I've done that, and my target I've disclosed will be seven percent at the end of the year, and it could go to twenty percent in the years ahead. We'll see what happens. That's incredible. That's an incredible evolution. And uh, thank you for having a flexible mindset. Uh, and uh, it's fascinating to see you increasing your allocation. Uh, one very quick follow up. Uh, and then I want to ask your final thoughts. Kevin O'Leary, uh, last time we spoke, you said you were somewhere around 30% cash. Have you allocated more to crypto now since we last spoke? Or where's your cash going? No, my cash remains very, very high because we've also changed our allocation. Um, between equities and fixed income from 50-50 to 70-30. So we had to sell a lot of fixed income assets. Wow. Um, I'm working hard to deploy this cash. I mean, when you're deploying, um, you know, a significant position like that, you don't do it overnight. You weigh it into the market in different asset classes. You, It's primarily driven by the very large sale I made in commercial real estate yeah. over an 18-month period, down from 31% of the, of the holding company to eight. And so we spent decades building that portfolio. Cap rates got too low for my comfort and I decided to sell the majority of it. And so it's going to take me a while to deploy this capital. In the meantime, I'm very frustrated with the cash desks that I use and I use them all over the world, offering me 21, 22, 23, 24 basis points <laughs> on yeah. an annual basis, which is why I've gotten involved in USDC and continue to uh, work with the circle people to develop that platform to be compliant for my needs. For clarity, for folks watching, that is less than one quarter of 1% of a yield on Kevin O'Leary's cash. And that is very frustrating. Uh, Jordan, I want to hear final thoughts from you. Uh, cryptocurrency, uh, 100,000, you know, Bitcoin, 100,000, Bitcoin, a million. I want to hear a little bit more about how people can invest in you, ticker symbol, company. Tell me more about that. We'll go to Kevin O'Leary for his final thoughts and then we're off. Uh, for, uh, again, thanks for having me, uh, Kevin. Uh, it's, it's been a fantastic conversation. Uh, I, I, we're Immutable Holdings. You can go to immutableholdings.com. Our ticker symbol is H-O-L-D. This is not financial advice. Do your own research. What we're merely saying is that uh, beyond just owning cryptocurrency, having equity exposure to whether it's the Bitcoin miners, whether it's Voyager, Galaxy, or HUT-8, as Kevin mentioned on this show, do your research, speak with a financial advisor. There are equity exposure plays for you to take indirect exposure to this sector. I do agree with Kevin uh, uh, O'Leary that I do think that we're looking at what is going to become the 12th sector on the S&P. I do think we'll see trillion dollar blockchain businesses at some point wow. in the future. If you look at where Coinbase is, uh, they're only a 20x from where they are right now. And when you look at only 68 million global users on a platform like Coinbase, FTX, uh, that Kevin is now O'Leary is now involved in here in the United States, getting their compliance uh, licenses in place, growing their team, uh, sponsoring things like the Miami Heat Stadium. I really think that you're going to see a tremendous growth in this particular sector. Sure, there will be market cycles, Bitcoin corrections, ups and downs, but companies like FTX and Coinbase make money when crypto prices go up and down. They make their money in volatility. So we're really excited about that. 
Um, and uh, you can follow us on social. And uh, yeah, I think I think Bitcoin's going to go to the moon, and I'm excited to just be along for the ride. What What's your social? Uh, Jordan Freed is uh, the best place to follow me on Twitter. I tweet about the market, immutable holdings, HBAR, all of the above. Okay, awesome. Yeah, that's actually very interesting. I mean, Coinbase is a $68 billion market cap right now. Tesla just crossed a $1 trillion market cap. Uh, and, uh, and and you're thinking we're going to see uh, basically cryptocurrency companies the size of Tesla. Very, very bullish. That's incredible. Kevin and, 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 not, and not to interrupt you, if you guys remember yeah. Palm Pilots, I just saw this article literally 20 years ago. Palm Pilot, the company behind the Palm Pilot, was valued at more than Apple and Google combined. So when you look at where uh, when you look at where we've gone, like no one uses Palm Pilot anymore. Think about 20 years from now. I think it's out of the realm of possibility that Coinbase could be as valuable, if not more. So, wow. Kevin O'Leary, final thoughts: cryptocurrency to the moon. I think the key uh, to getting involved in it, regardless of your age or what demographic you're in, is education. Um, I feel the same way about investing. There are certain principles of diversification that you should always adhere to, regardless of what asset class or what sector of the economy that you play in. Uh, and the same for crypto. So we've discussed many different ways during this conversation to, to be involved from the equities of companies that mine Bitcoin to those that are building infrastructure like uh, Mutable Holdings. Uh, that, that is another way to do it. Um, Wonderfy is another one. There's lots of different uh, companies that are, that are involved in, in this, but it's really about educating yourself and, and, not, and, and, and getting diversification in your portfolio. It's not just about Bitcoin and Ethereum anymore. It just isn't. There's just too much other software being developed that has tremendous productivity potential. And I think exposure to that makes sense. It's incredible. Uh, Jordan uh, from Immutable Holdings and Kevin O'Leary, thank you very much. If you could both just stand by for one moment. Everybody else, if you found this video helpful, consider sharing the video and subscribing, and we'll see you in the next one. Thank you.